If you would please join me in taking out your Bibles and turning to Acts chapter 7. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, moving from Stephen's life to now his death. And as we turn to God's word, let's turn to him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for providing what we need every step of the way on our journey home. We thank you, Father, for providing your word and spirit to guide us and direct us in the ways that are pleasing to you and in ways that are helpful to your people and indeed ways that are a witness to the world of the saving truth of Jesus Christ. So, Father, would you be pleased to open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds, open our hearts to hear, to see, to know, and to embrace your truth and strengthen our hands and feet to follow Jesus, for we pray in his name. Amen. Some of you may see those um, bumper stickers Things like Kentucky Proud or Kentucky Made, you know, emphasizing, hey, you know, shop Kentucky, you know, buy Kentucky products. Well, this morning we're going to begin not with the words of Scripture. We're going to get there, okay? But we're going to begin with some words from a couple of Kentucky natives, uh, two singer-songwriters, uh, one uh, born in uh, 1961 in the northeast part of the state, and one born in 1962 in the southwest part of the state. Uh, their hometowns are 375 miles apart, but interestingly, they, they attended, both of them for a time, Georgetown College, just south of us, down in uh, Georgetown, Kentucky, north of Lexington. I want to read first uh, the words of a, of a song called Some Gave All, from 1992. Here are the words to Some Gave All. I knew a man called Sandy Kane. Few folks even knew his name, but a hero was he. Left a boy, came back a man. Still many just don't understand about the reasons we are free. I can't forget the look in his eyes or the tears he cries as he said these words to me. All gave some and some gave all and some stood through for the red, white, and blue and some had to fall and if you ever think of me, think of all your liberties and recall, some gave all. Now, in 1990, just a couple of years before that, another song was written uh, called What Kind of Joy? And I believe I may have mentioned that a few weeks ago, What Kind of Joy? And here are the words to this song, again, written by a Kentucky native. Anybody in their right mind would have given up their preaching and headed for home. They've been warned a hundred times, but something inside keeps giving them hope. And just when you think they'd be crying, instead of the tears, there's joy in their eyes. What kind of joy is this that counts it a blessing to suffer? What kind of joy is this that gives the prisoner his song? What kind of joy could stare death in the face and see it as sweet victory? This is the joy of a soul that's forgiven and free. And it continues. What kind of joy is this the Father has promised his children? What kind of joy is this that Jesus has come to reveal? What kind of joy could give hope in this world to someone just like you and me? 
This is the joy of a soul that's forgiven and free. I found this joy for my soul is forgiven and free. Again, Kentucky Proud, uh, shop local. Well, today we finish up this two-part mini-series on Stephen with the story of his death. Stephen, as we will see from our text, gave all, and he gave all with joy. Here we are looking back at our history and moving forward in our mission as we explore the book of Acts. Uh, We were looking back at what God has done in Jesus Christ. We're looking ahead to what God is doing and what he has promised to do for his people, the church. As we mentioned last week, uh, Luke, the author of both the Gospel of Luke and, and the book of Acts, provides a lengthy account of Stephen's brief ministry, his life and his death, and his story is significant, as we saw last week. Stephen's the first recorded martyr. You see, before the disciples, the apostles had been warned, they had been jailed, they had been beaten. Well, now with Stephen, we see followers of Jesus being killed. And after his death, we will see persecution breaks out against Christians and they are scattered. And thirdly, this story is significant because through it we're introduced to the most important man in the New Testament apart from Christ, Saul of Tarsus, Paul, the Apostle Paul. Last week in uh, Stephen's uh, message uh, where he was a witness, he proclaimed the truth, he presented himself, he persevered in the faith. And remember, when accused of preaching rebellion against the religion of Israel, what does he do? He rehearses history. He uses scripture to demonstrate that he, like Jesus, is not against either the temple or the law as he points to the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of both everything that the temple and the law pointed to. Now let's look back at the climax of Stephen's address. We see that in verses 51 through 53 and we, of chapter 7. Remember that the pronouns shift from our to you. Here's how he concludes. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did not your fathers persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by the angels, by angels, and did not keep it. It's a stunning climax to the narration of Israel's history. He moves from, as it were, rehearsing the history to prosecution. He goes over the fact over and over again that God called them in Abraham, preserved them through Joseph, delivered them through Moses, established them as a nation through Joshua, and gave them a king in David. He came to dwell in them in the midst of them through Solomon's temple. And again, Stephen's main point is that God has a record of being gracious to his people and his people have a record of being stubborn and rebellious. Now, in our Old Testament reading, you heard earlier, Nathan did that with David in brief. He's like, David, look how God has been gracious to you, been with you, provided everything you needed and more. And look what you've done. You've despised the word of God. Nathan, excuse me, David acknowledged his sin. David confessed his sin. David repented. 
Sure, there were consequences, but there was no longer a consequence in a relationship with God. I don't, we're going to have to see if that's the case for the audience of Stephen's address. I want to read all of our verses uh, as we begin now to look at the response to the address. Join with me as I pick up in verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he cried out, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Here's how they responded. Verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. And then verses 57 and 58. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. They were enraged. The the word there gives this idea of being ripped in half, of sawn in half in their hearts. There is a visceral, emotional reaction of anger. Look back with me to verse 33 of chapter 5. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But remember, Gamaliel talked them out of that. There's going to be no one to talk them out this time. They are furious it's, it's reinforced by this detail that they ground their teeth. They're responding to, to so-called blasphemy. They, they cry out with a loud voice and they stop their ears. Uh, it's too bad this isn't illustrated where right now you could hit a hyperlink to, to, to see the video as it were. But imagine this, they are both yelling, crying out, and they are stopping their ears. They are being affected by what Stephen has said. And their response is not just to not want to hear. Remember he says they are uncircumcised not only of heart, but of ears. They don't want to hear, but then they want to drown out whatever he is saying. And they continue because there's further action of rushed together at him and then casting him out of the city and stoning him. Following the law, as it were, to get out of the city, but taking the law into their own hands. There's never even a verdict for this trial. It's mob justice. 
You see, even the Jews did not have the right for capital punishment while under the Romans at this time. It's a sham trial. It's, it's false witnesses, just like Jesus. These, the council is being cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. And as we saw at the end of Peter's sermon on Pentecost, when there's... When the heart is cut, there's two responses. The heart's either become soft or it becomes hard. There's either repentance or rebellion. You see, the message of the person and work of Jesus reveals who people are. And the message of the person and work of Jesus separates people. Just as Jesus did it in his day and ministry, here is it's happening in Stephen's day and ministry. So we heard earlier David's response to being corrected by Scripture. And here we see the council's response from being corrected by the witness of Scripture. So how do you, how do I respond to correction from God's Word? Do I soften and repent? Or do I harden and rebel? Well, today, for the remainder of our time, we're going to ask and answer two questions. We've read the text, but we need to go further in the text. We want to ask and answer two questions. How did Stephen die? And secondly, how can we be prepared to die? Because as we've already heard in our corporate intercessory prayer, death is around us. It's inevitable. Apart from Lord Jesus returning while we're still living, death is what awaits us. So first, how does Luke, the narrator, tell us about how did Stephen die? How was Stephen able to die well, with joy? Well, Stephen died looking to Jesus. Look at verse 55 again. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Stephen is full of wisdom. Here he is full of the Holy Spirit. And notice the New Testament reading from Luke 12. The Holy Spirit will give you the words that you need to say. It's just an echo of Luke's earlier writing. One commentator says this, Stephen has been confessing Christ before men and now he sees Christ confessing his servant before God. He, Stephen is acknowledging Jesus before men and he sees in this, relative, this vision that he's given of heaven opening up, he's seen, as it were, Jesus standing as the, as the, uh, as the witness is standing acknowledging Stephen's faithfulness, welcoming him home. So how did Stephen die? Stephen died looking to Jesus. But Stephen also died looking like Jesus. Look with me at verses 59 and 60. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. 
Paul writes to the Philippians that he wants to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and to, to, to share his suffering and to become like him in his death. Stephen is becoming like the Lord Jesus in his death because it's true, we really do become like that or who we follow. We end up resembling who we worship. Stephen dies in a manner similar to Jesus with confidence toward God. Confidence toward God. Remember Jesus on the cross, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. Here to Jesus, receive my spirit. Stephen, like Jesus, is confident. Confident toward God. But notice he's also compassionate toward others, his fellow man. Do not hold this sin against them. Just as Jesus prayed from the cross, Lord, don't, they, don't, they know not what they do. Confidence toward God and compassion toward his fellow man. Well, before we move on, I want us to notice a couple of things. Notice the contrast between Stephen and the council or the crowd. Stephen is calm. He's leading, as it were, a, what is it, a quiet and dignified life. As he's just proclaimed the truth, he's calm, he's assured, he's at rest. And the council is not at rest. The council is in a rage. Notice how Stephen's death is described. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Interesting. New Testament has a number of occasions when it refers to physical death as falling asleep. So children, i got to ask you a question. What happens after you fall asleep? What happens? I heard it. Who was it? Where was it? Yes, back there. You wake up. Right. Death is being pictured here as falling asleep and you wake up. You wake up in the presence of the Lord. Um, My friends, often we use the Heidelberg Catechism, right? Question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Comfort in life and in death. That I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Stephen is, as it were, confessing Heidelberg Catechism question and answer one. He knows he belongs to another, to the Lord Jesus. So Stephen's death was not just real. There's witnesses. There's a burial. There's great lamentation we read. But it was also representative. It presents us with a model. It shows us the way that a Christian, someone who is following Jesus, is called to die. And in following Jesus, if anything, we are called to die. So how can we be prepared to die? First, by looking to Jesus. Remember, as we studied the gospel of Mark, Jesus says over and over again, it's all about me. He's either a liar, as C.S. Lewis would say, a lunatic, or he is who he says he is, the Lord. It's all about me. Come to me. Look to me. Follow me. And when the going gets rough, as the author to the letter to the Hebrews says, what do we do? We fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. 
right? In running that race with perseverance, we look to Jesus. And how do we look to Jesus? I think it's pretty clear, isn't it? We, we, we look to him through his word. It's his revealed will. It's where he's made known. And as the Holy Spirit gives us understanding. We also look to him through his word in the company of one another. In the church. Oh, in this race, how we need one another. Don't we? Two are better than one. Why? If one falls down, the other is there to pick him up. We look to Jesus together in the church. So how can we be prepared to die? By looking to Jesus. And also by looking like Jesus. Now, we don't just decide, okay, today I'm going to look like Jesus. We don't just somehow ask, what would Jesus do? No, we find out what Jesus has done. And we follow him If anyone would come after me, he says, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Luke says that in chapter 9 and chapter 14. He records Jesus saying about people following him, bearing their cross. Now looking more and more like Jesus happens as we more and more look to Jesus. Again, we become like who we worship. We become like who we follow. And what happens as we look to Jesus? We become like him because there's a confidence towards God. We entrust our lives into his hands. And there's compassion compassion toward others. We are kind and merciful toward even our enemies because God is kind and merciful toward us. Following Jesus can be seen as pursuing death. Remember our hymn last week, Jesus, I, my cross, have taken. Now, as Christians, we face not only death at the end, as it were, of our physical life, but we face a thousand daily deaths. Turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'll read one verse. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So what do we die to here in this life? Well, we die to popularity. I just remembered an article I read a few years ago. It's called Remembering the Unpopular Jesus. We die to popularity. We also die to pride we, we learn to not re- to rely on our own strength, but instead the power of the Holy Spirit. And we die to, to prejudice. We, we, we become humbled when we see how the gospel saves all kinds of people, how Jesus saves all kinds of people. We die to material comfort. We give up things in order that others may have, as we've already seen in Acts. So how can we face death with courage and confidence? I think we can all face death with courage and confidence when we realize that the commendation of heaven's court that Stephen saw far outweighs the condemnation of earth's court that Stephen faced. 
You see, the United States Supreme Court is important, to be sure. But even the United States Supreme Court is not the Supreme Court. God has the final word. The verdict of God is more important than the verdict of men. And God's verdict has already been announced at the cross. Where someone in our place and on our behalf bore the punishment that we deserve. To the degree that you and I are aware of Jesus' work as our advocate and as our righteousness before God, as Stephen knew, then we, like Stephen, will have courage, will have love, and will have power in this life, even when facing death. Well, two things stand out or are outstanding in ministry, I think, as we see in Stephen's life and death. Ministry is often unpopular and often small. It's unpopular. Don't expect to be popular. Oh, how we need one another in the church. And my friends, I'm so thankful for the community that God is gathering and growing here at Grace and Peace because we don't need to look to the world for encouragement. We can look to one another. Don't expect to be popular. And secondly, expect to be small. How big is Stephen's ministry? How big is it? It's one man that we know of. Just one person. And yet, as we will see as we continue in Acts, whose life did this one man greatly affect? The life of Saul, who becomes Paul. Well, Stephen's death leads to an advancement of the church. Uh, Stephen is a witness, as Jesus said you would be in one, chapter 1, verse 8. And remember what Jesus said in John 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That's the life and death of Stephen. Much fruit is being born. In fact, we could say that our lives here at Grace and Peace are outworkings of Stephen's faithful martyrdom. Originally meaning witness, but it's a witness to the death. So here's the question. How, how do we grow this church, one person, one family, at a time? We love people. We pray for people. We share our lives with one person. Well, I'm going to finish up with a question and a statement. Here's the question for all of us. What kind of joy do you have? What kind of joy do you have? Do you have the kind of joy as we see in Scripture that counts it a blessing to suffer? Do you have the kind of joy that would give the prisoner his song? Do you and I have the kind of joy that could stare death in the face and see it not as agonizing defeat, but rather as sweet victory? Do you, do you and I have the joy of a soul that's forgiven and free? And let's end with a statement. Um, 
You see, there's a problem with the lyrics of that first song I quoted. For you see, it says, All gave some and some gave all for freedom, for all your liberties. The problem is, there's really only one who gave all. There's only one who made the ultimate sacrifice. There's only one who made the ultimate, paid the ultimate price to bear the, the wrath and the punishment. Only one gave all for true liberty, for true freedom. Jesus tells his people, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Free to die with joy. You see, as Stephen faces death, he's also facing Jesus. Stephen could be thinking about Psalm 118. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do for me? Do to me. Oh, my friends, Let's encourage one another in being prepared to die. We don't know the day or the hour of our own death, but we can die by looking to Jesus and looking like Jesus, the one who alone stared the wrath and the punishment of God in the face and knew through the resurrection, it would be sweet victory for all those who trust in him. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have been pleased to include this story, this lengthy story of the brief ministry of Stephen. Father, we thank you for the witness he was and we ask you for the strength to be the witnesses that we are called to be. Witnesses who testify to the truth of Jesus Christ. And oh, Father, how we need one another. Oh, Lord, may we at this church not be a hostile crowd for one another, but instead be cheerleaders on the race as we all look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. For we pray in his name. Amen.